Hello, Baggies fans. Welcome to the latest episode of the Baggies broadcast with me, Johnny Dreary. And not that this happens a lot, but I am actually sat across for this Baggies broadcast episode with Mr. Lewis Cox. We are currently in a location in the Telford area, in uh, in Mr. Cox's lovely front room. He's just made us a tea and a coffee, and we're sat here at 20 to 1 after a few hours after Albion have beaten Cardiff. So, yeah, it's a bit of a special episode tonight, Coxie. 20 to 1 on the morning of Valentine's Day, no less. Oh, yes, Johnny. it is as well, I mean, yeah. you know, making you a coffee at half past midnight on Valentine's Day was not on my 2024 sort of bingo card, but here we are. Um don't know how to feel about it, mate, really. Yeah. You you know. A Valentine's Day coffee, Coxie, that's probably as much as I'm gonna get this year. Oh, um, oh there but, we go. Yeah. <laughs> no more of that. There yeah, we yeah. go. But uh but yeah, as we said, we're uh, doing a late night baggage broadcast episode. I was off I was actually away last week, but I did listen to the first couple of minutes of the last week's oh, baggage yeah. broadcast yeah. and and I was yeah I wasn't too impressed with yourself and your and my stand-in co-host. Or, although my stand-in co-host did uh, did receive quite a bit of abuse from Albion fans on uh, on social media, which I found. How are your golf clubs hilarious. anyway? In, in one piece? Oh, all in one piece. Yeah, no, Good. I've never broken a golf club in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. I just get irate at, at Albion sometimes. I don't get irate on <laughs> work, them, of course, yeah, yeah. at work as well. But uh, but there we go. As we said, late night or early morning podcast. Um, if you will, we're going to discuss Albion's win over over Cardiff um, and among some other pieces, we're going to talk about the, the impact of the January signings, which are, who have made a, yeah, another impact in the win over Cardiff. We're going to talk, obviously, about the devastating news of Daryl DK and his latest injury setback. We're going to answer some of your questions, hopefully bring you a little bit of a bit of a takeover update and we'll have a bit of a, a throw forward to Southampton on Friday, which is the second of a, of a, a small quite compacted run of games for Albion certainly two next week two humdingers horrible games on the road if you want to call them that um, but we'll start with Cardiff we'll start with the, the win over Cardiff um, Coxie we talked about this on the video not long ago um, you know one of them evenings that we've seen a lot of under Carlos Corbran where Albion have, yeah. have tried and, and tried to break down a team who's come in and, and sat deep um, and you know we can obviously always hear the fans are getting a bit frustrated but I thought Albion you know I've called it professional I think it was professional really in the end they, they had a few let-offs but you know they were the better side and they did deserve the points Yeah routine I think professional routine I, I said to a uh, press box colleague of ours kind of midway through the second half or something when it was still 1-0 the old chance 1-0 to the Arsenal isn't it but it's it's 1-0 to the Albion under Corbyn isn't it certainly at home um, obviously this one finished too but they are the masters of the odd goal and then seeing it out and I think look, it's not thrilling or swashbuckling is it I don't think anyone's pretending it is and um, there have been a lot of one nils under this head coach, and that's credit to the defence and the organisation and the uh, tactical now. So I think, and and all of that. Look, I'm sure um, Corbran, as well as fans, uh, Corbran himself would want to see more wins, you know, by a bigger margin than one nil. And that was the case tonight. To Albion's credit, it didn't look like they would score more than one much, did it? But um, I think it's I think it's still to to be applauded. Look, it's all about the result, isn't it? I said on our post match video that come May or however the season goes, none of us are going to be thinking, uh, yeah, what happened in that two nil midweek home win over Cardiff? Are we? It just becomes a a stat really in the the run of the season, and we we are nearly at the running, are we? I think the running is in sight. I would say certainly the last I, sort of third the quarter stretch. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, I wrote that this week, and. Um, I suppose at this point of the season, there are no sort of 
irrelevant games or that they're all carry the same weight of importance. No, they, don't get me wrong, you know, there's hollow weight to come, isn't there? And that's a bit of a six pointer, yeah. I suppose you could say. And obviously the like of Southampton coming this week, a, a big hitter. Um there to be shot at maybe. But look, they're all as important as each other and um routine win or not, I'll I'll be in with a better team and did enough. And again, another clean sheet, still joint top of that standing. Um bang on about the 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 overriding theme at the moment for me and we'll get into this is the January recruits and the difference they've already made which I think is seismic really I think it's it's night and day almost I would say and yes there's a bit of a defensive thing at the moment and we had to see Eric Peters tonight last night and he was excellent by the way um but from an attacking perspective DK even considered there's been a, that shift in dynamic and attack and options and Carlos Corbran spoke to me about it after the game, didn't he? And um, I think it's given that Albion that, not not kick up the bum, although maybe you could say kick up the bum, that extra boost mm. to be able to stick it out really from now until May, hopefully. Yeah, no, it's it's certainly, you're certainly right there. We'll reflect collectively on the on the new signings um, in a few moments, but we'll talk about the one who, who got himself on the score sheet, Mikey Johnson with a goal after... Twenty nine seconds, as you uh, you corrected me on the on the video earlier, <laughs> turning home Tom Phillips's cross. We we we've had a a few of our little stat guys doing a bit of bit of research um, in the last few hours, and we found I think there's a few there's been a few over the years. Apparently, Coxie informs me just before we started this podcast that the the quickest goal ever scored by Albion was after five seconds. I believe so. Back in the nineteen twenties, apparently <laughs> there was a quick one from Ronnie Allen at Old Trafford at some point, and we've just discovered that Lee Hughes scored. After eleven seconds 11, in uh, yeah. in Gary Megson's first ever game in charge of Albion at Edgeley Park against Stockport, so some early ones. We're going to try and put a bit of an article together in the in the, in the the next day or so. Yeah, just trying to chart some of these. Yeah, uh, but we've had this from a guy John Want who, uh, who who has been on the Baggies Broadcast Fan Show. Um, once he's a very font of Albion knowledge and statistics, um, and he's got in touch with Coxie with some some really good ones. Yeah, Coxie, shout out John. Just on on that goal, really, and you know we can wax lyrical about Fellows, um, but we we could probably have a whole podcast every week about Tom Fellows at the moment because he's playing that well. But Mikey Johnson is someone who, you know, I wrote a piece um, a few days ago. I actually, got accused of Ryan clickbait. If you uh, if you'd have seen on uh, on social media this week, wrote a piece saying of Albion come out uh, on the better side of the window <laughs> in terms of sort of Samiento leaving and and Johnston coming in, um, and. Uh, and yeah, I saw little glimpses against Ipswich where I thought he, he's got a bit of quality, this lad. We didn't see mass, masses, uh, but he, he almost set Pipper up in the second half with a drive and run, and he dragged Albion up the pitch. And he, I thought his goal, he took it, he took it really well. I thought his his movement was really fantastic, and you know the the ball in obviously made it as well, but um, maybe faded a little bit in the second half, but. I think you can see why he's so highly regarded. You know, Brendan Rodgers has, has said that Johnston is arguably one of the best players to come out of Celtic's academy. And I know he's had a bit of a tough time up at Celtic Park, but you can see what he's got. You know, Albion are not going to have him for more than six months, but I think he can play a real big part between now and May. Yeah, I think we saw against Blues. Was it Blues for his debut yeah. uh, from the bench? Well, yeah, he had a massive part in the, the winner, didn't he? Really. Um, I think you could almost see immediately... What he what he had to offer, um, direct, sharp with a ball, wants to run forward with it, wants to take his man on, and that's quite refreshing, isn't it? Look, Jed Wallace does it, Tom Fellows does it, to an, a different extent, Grady Dean Garner does it, but as as another individual who's got a bit of speed about him, sort of 
you know, quick and agile and sharp movement, and it, defenders don't like that, do they? And yeah, wow, what he's had to not bide his time. He's had to have a couple of cameos from the bench, hasn't he? And he's impressed from the bench. I think did well at Ipswich. I think it's worth saying on Saturday. Got Arbin up the pitch, didn't he? As as you pointed out there, and um, yeah, I thought he merited tonight's start. I was looking forward to seeing him from the off, and couldn't have started any better, could it? It really couldn't have. And I think there's always a it feels at the moment that there's always a bit of optimism, a bit of excitement when he gets the ball. Albion fans are seeing what he's about, seeing what he can offer. And um, it played too much football this season. It was a fair regular for Celtic in sort of Christmas time, December time. So, um, yeah, I think in in as the games go, be it from the bench or, or from the off, if you're asking me, do I expect him to start against Southampton on Friday, which we'll get onto later? Probably not, which is harsh, but I, I don't see how Wallace and Fellows don't start, to be quite frank with you. And by that time, you know, Grady will probably be around around things as well. So it goes back to that depth conversation at the top, doesn't it? But um, he's doing all he can, certainly. I mean, it was a good finish, wasn't it? It was, it was well taken. It was, you've got to think about it as one winger crossing for the other. And I think uh, certainly Carlos Corbran once always important for that other winger receiving the cross almost not making the cross to to be in and around the box ready to help the striker with an effort at goal with a finish um you know being able to impact games by getting on the end of things and he's done that there to to, to his credit uh, and that look that 29 second goal uh, sort of the the dynamic of the game obviously shifted hugely with that and it, it set Albion on its way didn't it and I think he's, he's played a huge role as Weiman has not seen as much of Callum Marshall yet, have we? But I think that will come, probably. And again, we'll touch on DK to come. But, yeah, DK's setback set probably lifted Marshall up the pecking order. I would say yes. So I would say as a result, we'll probably see him play more minutes. Vyman just looks like an absolute fox-in-the-box finisher, doesn't he, really? That that real nous of where to be, how to finish. Seen two goals down that end of the, uh, the Hawthorns, haven't we? And they've both been... Brilliantly finished, really, like a proper centre forward. Um, yeah, I'm a fan of Johnson. I like what I, like what I see, and uh, hopefully, in, as the games come, as I say, he'll continue to build, you would imagine. Yeah, you know, we can't say an awful lot, as you said, on Callum Marshall. You know, bit part appearance tonight, didn't come on at Ipswich, but, you know, Andy Vyman's obviously the one who's, who's sticking out at the moment. You know, he took his goal tremendously well. The more I see him play for Alvin and score goals like that, the more I question why Albion have got him and why Bristol City have, have, <laughs> yeah. have let him come out on loan. Um, you know he's he's such a natural finisher, so what we haven't seen for for such a long time. Um, does he now come into the question of starting ahead of Brandon Thomas Asante? Now, Brandon Thomas Asante is into double figures. Um, we know that some fans, you know, don't particularly rate Thomas Asante, and there are parts of his game that maybe aren't um, what they they will be eventually. I think he's going to be a fantastic striker. You know, I think he's doing terrifically well as it is, but. Does Vyman, given the fact that Albion, you know, every point is precious, you know, mm. every point is precious throughout the season, but every point now, as you said, we're getting into the, the running sort of running stage of the season. Does he now become a, a starter? Given yeah, the fact I'll, that he's the one who's gonna stick them chances away. We've got another interesting conversation to have with Vyman, I think, on with the DK injury and joining the Madger situation, albeit yes, we hope Madger's back before the end of the season, but we're talking about here Albion's centre forward options, the number nines. Available to the the manager, Thomas Asante, a Marshall. Now is the question I'd like to raise really is is Vyman part of that conversation just positionally? Now, 
he's versatile, isn't he? I think he said to me when he signed, he prefers a deeper role than the main number nine. Be that a number 10, be that just a bit withdrawn off a number nine. That's where he's most comfortable. But I think he scored enough career goals, hasn't he? And he did for Bristol City. For me, that he has to be considered a nine option um, to compete and ideally at times take Thomas Asante's position. Um, I think he's still got the legs for it at 32. He doesn't look over the hill in that sense. I think he can still press and chase. I think we've seen that already. Uh, saw it at Ipswich the other day. I mean, if it weren't for that bizarre handball situation mm. at Portman Road, it could still have been three, still three and three, couldn't it? And I mean, he he's probably annoyed by that, to be honest. Although I'm sure, look, I'm sure he'd say to us if he could have headed it, he would have. But we only he knows that, doesn't he? Realistically, um, I, if as I just said, he's considered part of that number nine crew that he can play in that position if Corbrand and it's something I'm going to ask him in, in this week's press conference actually for Southampton you know do you consider Vyman an option then if, to answer your question he's got to be right there with Thomas yeah. Asante to come in I think he's he's got that nous to his game that Thomas Asante doesn't have as much yet and that's fine look every player is different every striker is mm. different I don't think there's think, anyone on the pitch who would have scored the, who would have taken the goal like no, 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 I agree. I mean, I although for, for, for a bit, I I actually thought it was Connor Townsend who'd fight it. Really, <laughs> I well, thought it was Reach, wearing, to be honest. Wearing similar boots, I think <laughs> Reach wears similar boots as well. Um, the other conversation I'll have, Coxie, as well. And I was going to write a piece on this after um, after the Birmingham win, and then he went and scored against Ipswich. Um, and then I haven't had time to, to look at it, but John Swift come back in tonight. Um, not surprising. You know, his better Albion games are on home turf and he did score that, that superb goal at Ipswich. But I thought of all the Albion performers tonight, I think he was the most quiet. He didn't really struggle to really assert himself mm. onto the game and, and do anything of particular note. Um, it just seems like he's a little bit of a different player, I think, at the moment. Whether, you know, there is that argument that he's different home. Yeah, I think if you if you married up his home and away games, he'd probably have more of an influence at home. Although he did, you know, Saturday was maybe a bit of an anomaly because he, I thought he did really well when he came on. Um, but there are times at the moment where Albion maybe look a little bit better when he's not in the team, which is which is maybe. weird to say. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something to the eye because if you probably look statistically, you know I think he he surpassed it. He's already surpassed his goal tally for last season. I think on Saturday, yeah. Um, and he's got he has got you know such quality and, and creativity, but. I think there's been a few occasions in the last couple of weeks where we haven't maybe seen it and, and maybe there are yeah. different options for Albion to go with. You know, Jed Wallace can play in there. We've obviously seen that um, Carlos Corbran spoke about Johnston can play in there. You've got Vyman now as yeah, well. Yeah. You know, I, I I still think I this is not going to happen because they're, they're forming such a good partnership in the middle of the park. But for me, I think Moat could play in there as well. Yeah. Um, and you've got Dean Garner coming back in who's obviously played mm-hmm. in that role as well. You know, does it mean that Swift, given form, might just slip down the pecking order a little yeah, bit. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't think he's been right since that injury at the start of October, as he? There was one game, and it was Norwich Boxing Day, where he was the star man, but hasn't looked sort of comfortable and consistent. I think there's an element that uh, the type of player he is, perhaps just the nature of football and the nature of how each game are different, and the fact that Albin aren't on top and in control of the ball fully in every game, that he's not always going to stand out in his defence. But I think Carlos Corbin said to us before, 
physically Swift just needs to be right at it and getting involved being at his top level physically with and without the ball and I don't think we always see that do we now whether that's related to where he is fitness wise I don't know he's been back from that injury for a while hasn't he realistically what he played Norwich Boxing Day and potentially just before that so that's what nearly getting on for two months ago now isn't it and he's but I think the additions in Jan may have helped him look to be honest and it helped Albion certainly but for the first time at Ipswich he was left out rotated I suppose but I think most would agree he probably needed that breather needed that dare we say kick up the backside just to you know other options are there to um, push him on mm. and uh, motivate him to you know, fight more competition for his place. Like he came on and was excellent at Portman Road, scored a great goal, but did other things well. Played at pace. Corbin says he's at his best with intensity and that intensity and energy is not something you associate with Swift, is it? So maybe the head coach wants to see more of that. You're right, he was on the periphery against mm. Cardiff, wasn't he? We didn't see enough from him. And I just wanted to say... I, talking about Thomas Asante previously I'm a huge fan of his and I know you are as well we are on this podcast but I I think Thomas Asante has been quiet and slightly off it for a few games as well really Um, and I think he's probably got a bit more of a defence in that (laughs) because DK didn't get to a point where he could start and and so on he still had to be flogged hasn't he Mm. Thomas Asante he's not had that breather yet I dare say that he's going to start against Southampton I would have thought Um, and look, he might not be tired. He might not be knackered. I just think he seems to me to have played so often this season. Um, he, you know, young guy, physically fit, but that breather, that competition, is surely what what he needs. It hasn't come with Madger and his injury. It hasn't come with DK and his injury, has it? Callum Marshall, how much is he ready to play football yet in the championship? We don't really know. Um, so Vyman has really got to be. You know, chomping at the bit and, and kicking at Thomas Santos' heels to, to get in. And again, that's something we'll ask the head coach. But in terms of Swift, yeah, I think all those names you reeled off who can play in the role, obviously Moat probably won't, but all the others, I think we're going to see a lot more rotation in this second half of the season or you know, between Feb now and, and May than we did in the first half. And that's to benefit everyone, to be honest, to, to benefit the whole team and all of them as individuals as well. Because as we've seen, players from the bench in the last few games, I think it, it spurs them on, doesn't it? And it, it, it motivates them to have to do more, ultimately, to to stay involved, really. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. You could probably even chuck Chalibur in that. In that. I know yeah. when he comes on, he plays a bit more deeper, but, you know, certainly against, the, against Cardiff, he was a bit more advanced. Just before we move on to some other points um, away from Cardiff, just want to shout out Eric Peters tonight. Come in first. His yeah. first start since Coventry. Um, last year and I thought he didn't really put a foot wrong got caught for pegs a couple of times over the top but snuffed out the danger and recovered well and, and, and shows that yeah he is still a bit of an option Cox I know some fans don't that, you know are not having him really just in terms of his age now and, and, and you know there was a, a couple of off performances at certain periods of time um, before he's sort of not exile from the team but the fact that he hasn't played for a long time mm. but yeah I thought he he did really well certainly I, I think of note in a four as well because the majority of the time he was playing last season in yeah. he was playing in a three where the two alongside him probably helped him for pace yeah I, I agree and you know right to bring that up before he was great tonight and um, first league start for him since October so that was a 
a big ask, really. You know, like guy who's turning thirty six this year, I think, and I, I think it's right to say, and I hope most would agree that in his year and a half at the club, he's never let anyone down, really. Um, for a free agent, for the point he is in his career, I know he's an absolute top pro, does things right, does things right to the point where he can get through a night like tonight, or he hasn't started in, what, four months or something, and he can still get through 90 minutes. Yeah. As you say, in a back four, he had um, good spells in a back four last season with Dar Roche, but it, you're right, and, and to make the point, and that Corbran, I think, has probably said that Peters is most comfortable and, and better in a three just to have the more legs and speed around him, which he obviously lacks. And Peters is best, I suppose, is, is probably with the ball in terms of being comfortable as a defender in possession. But I was surprised to see him in about four tonight, to be honest. I thought it would probably be Okai, um, albeit I didn't want to lose him from midfield. Um, and when I saw Peters, I was, I was a little bit surprised. Um, but I, I think he hardly put a foot wrong, did he? No, and, he and when he Very did, well. he... he you got his side out of trouble or recovered from it from his error. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's very fair that people sort of look look down on him really or disregard him. But look, he's where he's in the pecking order. That's fine. And yeah, yes, it was a risk sending Caleb Taylor out. And yes, Bartley's problem, which we'll get onto, is a bit of a problem for the short term. And Shemi Ajayi's on his way back. And is he going to be back in time to be right for Friday night and all of this? thinking about Southampton, but I think Peters has just issued a bit of a reminder um, that he's not done yet, you know, and he's still a very valid and capable squad member, really. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I thought he did, did really well. We're just going to talk on a, a couple of other topics before we answer some of your your burning questions. Um, and we'll talk Daryl DK. I'm sure he's probably getting to the point now over the last few days where he probably just wants to to forget about everything that happened on Saturday and uh, and slope off and get to, get to do his uh, his recovery and his rehab and, and hopefully come back even stronger. But obviously we had the the devastating news that he's he's now done his other Achilles. He's going to be out for for the majority of of twenty twenty four um, out till the the end of the year. Um, we saw at the Hawthorns last night. Um, Albion players wearing DK twelve shirts and and fans sort of chanting his name in the twelfth minute of the game, which was fantastic to see. But you know another another blow, Coxie, but. I think Carlos Corbrand sort of said everything he could say after the game and that the fact that, you know, pray showing the fans response really, praising the fans showing shows how much he's he's loved. You know, I yeah. I can't think of a, a single footballer, you know, I've been watching football all my life and I can't think of a footballer who is more loved by a set of fans having only played just over thirty <laughs> games for the club yeah. in over two years, you know, it's quite phenomenal really. Um, and I thought Corbrand, you know, Albion obviously going to help him mentally. You know, we've seen how positive he is, but I'm sure this is going to be an absolute, you know, a tough, tough one for for DK to climb. But it seems like the, you know, despite what's happened, the club are massively behind him, and and that's all they can do really. I think um, obviously most you know the fans see what they see on the pitch, and they see someone who knows where the goal is, and he scored a few, hasn't he? And looked largely promising when he has played. Um, but I think they also see like a young lad, thousands of miles from home, uh, a bit of an infectious personality, all of that. I think they just see an honest, humble, kind of modest individual who's just trying to carve out a career and a success of himself and just sympathise with him, really. Um, you know, there were a few crass comments after Ipswich, weren't there? And I think it's, 
you know, I'm not excusing those supporters. Yeah, everyone's got a right to their opinion, haven't they? But probably just typed online in the heat of the moment. It's idiotic and stupid comments, you know, see people saying, oh, rip his contract up, get rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you want to rip his contract, I hope you've got to pay him and he's going to be earning, you know, probably decent whack at Alvin because he come in as a, as a big signing. There's some other things that Corbrand said tonight as well. There was such... I want to just point out, and they'd been actually referenced by the Liquidator podcast earlier in the week. Daryl D, I didn't realise this. Daryl DK's brother used to be a professional footballer who also had some problems with Achilles injuries yeah. in the past. And I know Carlos Corbrand talked about maybe sort of genetics, genetics and stuff uh, in the in the press conference. Just give us an insight into what he, yeah, what he sort of referenced. Yeah, I yeah, it was quite yeah. interesting. Yeah, it was. Um, look, I don't know if Carlos Corbrand said this kind of thinking out loud. Almost, I'm sure these discussions have been had. Obviously, Tony Strudwick, director of medical overseas, that department with all the physio and medical team. And they'll be looking into this as we speak, I'm sure, with those that have made the scans. But he mentioned genetics and he mentioned how, I think he said he'd, in all of his time in football, his whole career. He'd never come across an Achilles injury. Yeah, an no. Achilles. And now DK's last year was the first one and now he's had the other one. And Carlos was almost being sort of... Um, Saying yeah, this this looks looks and feels like it was almost meant to happen to DK's body, and once he'd done the first one, it was almost like the other one had to go as well, and I can't say too much on here on this because some of it's embargoed for a little bit later in the week. But it's almost like the two of them had to go, and he'll be okay mm. as a result of that physically. Yeah, yeah. Now I don't think Carlos would just say that on a whim. I think he probably spoke to some of the medical professionals in and around it to have that opinion and yes you make the point about his brother I've had a look at that and that is all there I suppose as quote unquote evidence um, and when we talk about genetics there could be something in that couldn't mm. there or, or, or that could be nothing look we know he's a physical specimen isn't he is, is an absolute unit as we've said and whether that relates to the injuries or the muscle injuries he had previous I'm not sure I'd say there's a chance, but I don't think, you know, it shouldn't mean he can't have a career no, just because no. he's a, a big unit. And I think well, I'm going to check this with um, some people I know are a bit more clued up about this this area. But I wonder if the fact, again, sort of what Carlos said, the fact that one had gone, there's probably more of a likelihood of the other Achilles mm. going just because you've put so much strength, focus, energy into recovering the one. That maybe it's similar with ACLs, I think, in the knee, isn't it? That you're more sort of susceptible to the other one getting injured soon after your return. I imagine it's probably the case there with the Achilles as well. There's probably something in that. So, um, look, it's it's terrible luck, or maybe it's the way things are meant to be for him. I don't think that this. I I do not think that this is it for DK. I really don't. I think it's just a couple of chapters he's having to go through, and look whether he's a. Uh, goes on to enjoy a successful time at Albion or elsewhere. Hopefully it's successful. Hopefully it's at Albion. But hopefully for him, he, he can still live and enjoy a career um, and not have it derailed by these problems. Now, it's, it's going to take a lot of strength and resilience to get back. But as he said in his statement online, after the injury was confirmed, he's sort of already looking at it like, I've done it already, so I know yeah. I can, you know, I know I can get back. And then look, when he gets towards the end of it again, let's see and hope for the best I suppose nobody can look into the future but um, yeah it, it's just been gutting hasn't it that to be honest but it has been so uplifting the whole 
kind of mood around him from his teammates, the fans. I think I've sensed they're all coming together of everyone to, to get behind him. And you always get that bit of that cliched stuff, don't you, when someone has a problem or something. But we've really felt it this week and we really felt it at the Hawthorns last night. Um, it was lovely in the 12th minute, wasn't it? And I saw him tweeting saying it's really sort of touched and moved him. And he said he's been moved to tears by all the messages, hasn't it? So, yeah, pretty pretty... I imagine... They all of that can be making him feel about as good as he can mm. at the moment. And Carlos Corbran did confirm to me in the presser that he did have his surgery yesterday, well, Monday as we're speaking now. So, you know, he's already on the road to, to recovery one or two days in or whatever. And I'm sure he'll have lots of sunny days back home in the States to help him sort of refocus, re-energise. He wasn't at the Hawthorns last night, which I think was wise. It'd probably be too raw, I'd imagine. Um, it's a sh- such a shame for him, for Albion. He, I think, I don't know for definite, but I'd imagine that the plan was that he'd be heavily involved in the second yeah. half of the season. We're carrying some, uh, people will be listening to this on Wednesday, won't they? We're carrying some quotes from Carlos Corbin from Friday and the Express and Star today, which was obviously 24 hours before the injury. And, and they're all interesting about where DK was up to with his training, with his fitness, you know, he's, yeah. where he's all at and, and I think that was that was interesting to sort of get and, and, and still reference what Corbin thought on the eve of the injury and um, yeah just obviously the seasons are right off and probably a lot of the calendar year as we speak let's revisit it close to the time just everyone's desperately good for the lad isn't it but as I said at the top I don't think I hope I'm right in saying I don't think it's the end for him at the club no hopefully not I did see a picture of his brother I think big uh, lad as well. Oh, I would not want to be a centre half facing them too, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. But yeah, wishing uh, wishing Dal all the best. Cox, you're just going to rattle through some other points uh, mm-hmm. before we get on to get on to some questions. And um, first one, Carl Bartley, someone yes. who you know we're a little bit fearful of, but it's not maybe devastating news. Um, hopefully, it won't be too long before we see see Bartley again. No, um, yes, yeah, so asked Carlos after the game and he gave a time frame of 10 to 20 days, didn't he? Which, um, yeah, so that's what, that's either. You know, when he, yeah, when you hear someone do a calf injury, you know, it could be month, six weeks, but... Yeah, I, I think we expected a couple of weeks, didn't we? We expected a strain and, uh, you know, rather than like a proper pull or a tear. So, um, what have we already had a couple of days? So, it's in the region of your kind of three weeks, isn't it? Three weeks being 21 days and the problem is it's that busy schedule isn't it mm. so obviously missed last night we'll miss Southampton we'll miss Plymouth and Hull like me um, and what I I haven't even trained my and then it's it's Cov at the Hawthorne, Hawthorns isn't it on 1st of March yeah it's, what's that roughly two and a half weeks from now so with any luck maybe Bartley can have a look at that but obviously we'll come to it in a sec but to counter that I suppose Shemi Ajay is yeah. backing around it imminently so um, at least there's that and when you talk about it the, you know only maybe hopefully three more games that Bartley has to miss out then that's good news I think I would say um, and, and Carlos really did emphasise the point didn't he about like, we're desperate for him we need him badly mm. and we need to get him back as right as possible, as soon as possible, and I fully agree. He's just so important at the minute. Yeah, Shemi Joy and, and Greg Diangana. I know you asked the question about did he want them involved tonight. He said it was impossible because they're not actually in the uh, in the the country at the moment. Yeah, um, but it looks like they're both going to be back um, by by Thursday anyway. Potential for him to be involved in the squad on Friday. 
Um, I think so. Yeah. So um, I kind of wondered whether we might see both on the bench last night, but obviously that was all determined by logistics of transport from Africa. Whether I mean Carlos was very clear that he wanted them both home ASAP after the game, wasn't he? He said that over the weekend. Didn't quite go the head coach's way, did it? Uh, I could sense in that press conference he, he opened up about how both of them went back to their own countries, to Nigeria and to um, Democratic Republic of the Congo for kind of, um, what's the word? Uh, I meant something about meeting the presidents or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he did. I don't know if he exactly meant the word president of those nations, yeah. but some sort of recognition, not party, but, you know, uh, welcome home yeah, kind of yeah. congratulations sort of because obviously they both had great achievements now that's look Corbyn wanted them home straight away it's just one of those unfortunate things I think and I, yeah, Shemi wouldn't have got home in time to start last night would he he might have been on the bench Grady maybe different conversation but so the plan is um, double checked with, with Corbyn and the plan is for Grady to be around it um check into the training ground Wednesday afternoon, I believe, today, as you're listening to this. And ditto Shemi, really. I think either late Wednesday or certainly have checked in by Thursday morning for that pre-Southampton training. And look, they're going to be assessed by not just Corbran, but the medical team and obviously spoken to at length. And yeah, I think from from the way Corbran was speaking, I'd expect them both to be in the 20, really, I think, for Friday night. I think... Because of Bartley and the aforementioned stuff, I think there's a real need for a Jay. But uh, the, whether he starts is tricky, isn't it? I think Peters was very good last night. But someone's tweeted me, what is it, Adam Armstrong got front for Southampton and his yeah. movement and other Southampton forwards. They've got a lot of firepower, yeah. a lot of pace, haven't they? Nothing sure, against Peters, but that's a, a big ask, maybe. OK, you drop Okai back. <laughs> Into the into a back four against the Saints, well, great. You know, it'll still be a test for him. But what about midfield? Mm. You know, what what, what a hole he would leave. So, uh, is there a a real need to bring Shemi in immediately? Probably yes. Hopefully, he'll be okay and be able to manage that because he's played all the games out there. I think, I think, you know, played Sunday night. Can you play Friday night? I would say, well, why not? Really, you I think he's travelling kind of now as we speak so I think by the time people listen to this he'll be back so what's that sort of Wednesday afternoon can you can you go Friday big ask but I think Albion probably need him to be ready to start on Friday night that's my opinion I think if nothing nothing against Peters I'm a huge fan of his but I just think Albion will be uh, a lot more sort of comfortable and confident if it's Shemi there and we don't want to see Okai out of midfield do we and the Grady conversation because of all the attackers we've mentioned I think he can afford to be on the bench and uh, an option to come on if required. Um, there's not as much immediate need for a, for a forward, is there? So, uh, but yeah, they are they're both happily now uh, happily now to report they're both in transit as we speak. Um, hopefully, due to land anytime soon. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully they are back and uh, and ready to go on on Friday. Coxie, we're gonna just gonna go off field. Um, we can't do a podcast at the moment without talking about the mm. the takeover developments. And as the weeks go by, you know, we're fingers crossed and hoping that it's gonna go through and the the financial situation or peril of the club is is sort of cleared. Um, Albion fans will be seeing various different reports. Obviously, we've carried things over the last week or so. Um, what's the state of play? Because we obviously know that. Um, 
US businessman Shilin Patel is, is is in there. You know, it's claims that he is remains the front runner. Then there's obviously yep. Alex Hurd and, and Chris Farnell, um, who are said to be still very much interested in in taking Albion. You know, what's how do, what's the situation? The Armenian party as well. And there's obviously. the Armenian, but of course, yeah. And we we hear reports. You know, obviously Albion fans. You know, I saw they jumped on a, a piece from the Athletic earlier this week or late last week um, with regards to the. The two we've just talked about then, what's what's as yeah. we understand it. So as 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 I wrote um last Friday, it remains the uh intention and hope, desire, I think, from the club that Shill and Patel's party um take over and are the are the new owners. Now not mixed messages, but I think from Chris Farnell and his party's group's point of view that is still a strong interest. He retains hope that he can get in there and sort of tempt, uh, sort of get a bid in that Lai is interested in and fancies remains to be seen. Like I saw in the report, the Athletic, that um, Farnell was was travelling to China and, and local business and Alex Hearn too. As I understand it, as we speak, that hasn't happened yet. Um could still happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And I, I believe it, it was supposed to have happened already. That's not to say it won't in the coming days. It's always moving pieces to this. Um, but look, there's still, an, there's still an interest in Farnell, who's obviously tried to buy clubs previously, um, getting in there. Uh, the club, as, as we've sort of reported, um, and... There's the club. I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this. Um, they say that there's another. Uh, the club don't say anything. Sorry. That the the general gist that we're getting from certain ends of this is that that as I say, there's a a favoured or a preferred bidder, and it's clear as we said that that's Patel and the states. Uh, MSD are involved there. Of course, yeah. In terms of yeah. uh, being the club's creditor and the the biggest creditor, they. Well, I'm not saying they decide who the next owner is because that's not right and shouldn't be right, but they carry a weight in terms of their opinion. Um, but And that's the clear vibe we get from speaking to multiple sources from all different ends of this. Um, but it doesn't stop the group involving Farnell and the Armenian party who have been a real and strong player in this as well. Yeah, know a football group who have invested in clubs all over Europe, really, France elsewhere as well can't exactly recall which other countries but um they're still a, a player and involved in this and fancy their chances of you know getting in with a however they can finance it matching the bid that they're they're all aware of this msd factor that seems to be a, a driving force and you can understand why it is for for obvious reasons with of having borrowed albion 28 million quid and 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 that sort of factor, but yeah, um, as we understand it, it it remains that uh, the the US group headed by Shil and Patel are, are the front runners, are the uh, favourites from this side of it over here. It just it it just it's 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 a bit of a race against time, Johnny. Really, it's you know with this um, latest loan that the club took, I believe back in the November time. Um, not as big as the the previous loan they were sanctioned from MSD and 
will not and won't run and run and run forever. It, it really won't. Things need to be wrapped up, tied up, agreed as soon as possible. But uh, this it's all a very complex, delicate subject. Do we understand it's getting closer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, sort of, it's difficult to... You kind of have to see the wood through the trees and, and, and you hear different things and have to kind of try and realise what, what is accurate and what might be less so. And one of the messages I heard at, at one point last week was that um, in terms of Patel, there's a real confidence that it's quite close and... I don't use the word imminent, but yeah, you know, certainly in towards the final stages. But again, then not saying things change from that because uh, they didn't necessarily say that. But then you hear something else, and it's like, well, perhaps the other groups are still, you know, re- really trying to make a late play, almost trying to, you know, um, being still. Look, we're still, we're still here. We're still interested, um, and uh, well, obviously, uh, sports lawyer David Hinchcliffe. UK based is brokering the deal is a lawyer on behalf of the club um, so uh, he's kind of the the intermediary and all this he's the man kind of dealing with all the groups and the club and, and that kind of thing but I suppose only Gouch and Lai and his associates his advisors and all of that out in China I think it's fair to say only he and his other decision makers know which way this will is going to go because it's that's the bottom line isn't it um so it's quite fascinating to kind of watch it go. i mean fascinating is the wrong word really it's 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 interesting it's kind of pretty desperate really very draining to kind of hear things from different angles and the story kind of updates not daily but regularly um it, it's coming to it has to come to a conclusion soon it's heard sounds that it is coming to a conclusion. Um, but, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see if who gets their way, really. There's a, there's a clear favourite in terms of people on the ground at Albion and in terms of the Americans. And I'm not saying that that's different otherwise, but people still have aspirations of, you know, other groups still have aspirations of getting in and still think they've got a chance. So let's see, but... I, Look, I I can't say sit here and say I I think it should be these because that's not where we are at the moment in terms of commenting on these groups because that, that I don't think that would be right really that we're just sort of reporting where it's at in terms of what what we hear and what we source um look when it gets further down the line and and we get to it's done territory then perhaps we can have a say in terms of an opinion and comment I don't think it'd be right to say. X would be desperately bad and Y sounds brilliant and should happen. Look, um, I don't really want to go down there yet, but, um, yeah, to watch it play out has been pretty mind-numbing, really, to be in the middle of it. But um, hopefully we're nearing a conclusion and hopefully for the club, well, it just needs to be the right conclusion, doesn't it? And like I said a couple of minutes ago, um, it needs to be soon because I don't know what the next can-kicking operation down the line is, really, in terms of when the loan um, that's keeping the club overheads, you know, running at the moment, paying bills and stuff, when that pot empties, I'm not quite sure. I haven't had any sort of source or contact tell me where the club go after that, to be honest. Well, 
I mean, I, I hope not. I hope there's a, uh, you know, I'm sure there is a contingency for next step if things get delayed again, if negotiations carry on. But um, we'll see, I suppose. Uh, I don't know if whether the club can afford it, really. So I think it has to reach a conclusion. Um, as we've reported, it's in the crunch. It really is. We're in the crunch time now, these couple of weeks. You know, things are happening. So we can only hope that these crunch weeks deliver a conclusion, basically. Yeah, hopefully... Uh... Hopefully that is the case, and that'll answer a few of the questions we've had from you, Baggies fans. Um, just a shout out for our sponsors, all our podcast here at the Express and Star and the Shop Store, brought to you by the Kettle and Toaster Man, your graded product specialist over there in Briley Hill. Some fantastic products, fantastic prices. Um, we've 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 chucked over a bit of a celebrity uh, celebrity. Um, well, I would say customer, but he didn't end up buying anything. And I had a I had one Andy Johnson on the phone a few weeks ago. Um, asking me questions about the kettle and toaster man, so he obviously must be an avid listener to the Baggies broadcast. Although he does, claim, we know he is. Although he does claim that his rival podcast with Albion uh, trumps our uh, our viewing figures, but he, he won't release us his viewing figures, so we we'll, we don't actually know what uh, scolded him what tonight, are. didn't I? Yeah, he did. Cox, he spilled a cup of tea over him at the Hawthorns tonight. He was ready to knock your head off. Um, <laughs> he claimed it was uh, intentional. Yeah, didn't intentional he? for all the for all the stuff, all the all the abuse <laughs> that he gives you. Um, but yeah, he got in touch. He wanted a fridge, um, but unfortunately, the kettle and toaster man didn't have a correct fridge. To which Andy Johnson said he must only sell kettles and toasters. But I can guarantee you that he doesn't sell kettles and toasters. He's got a fantastic range of products at fantastic prices. Just not the fridge AJ needed. Just not the fridge that Andy Johnson wanted. Um, but he's got fridges there. He's got everything down there. So head along to, to Thorns Road in Bradley Hill or head on to... Uh, if you want to do it all from the comfort, as we say, of your own sofa, head to thecattleandtoasterman.com. Right. Sorry, .co.uk. Um, I've made that mistake uh, before um, right we've got some questions in Coxie we haven't got many um, which is good because it's 25 past 1 and I want to drive back home and go to sleep <laughs> um, so right let's have a look what we've got we've answered that one there haven't we on the, on the takeover situation let's read out a couple more uh, we've talked about the Bartley one uh, we've talked takeover news we've talked about that here's one from Richard Downey this one kind of made me laugh because I read the story the other day and I don't really give these a lot of substance um, Richard Downey's <laughs> asked uh, what's your opinion on some of the clickbait rubbish published elsewhere in the last few days oh, that's me that. I thought, I thought, thought he was all about me then, yeah about, yeah. about my other clickbait it wasn't Richard Downey who tweeted me that I will say that um, about the new owner new head coach um, this was about is he the Torino boss? I don't even know his name. Um, some outlet, Tula Sport in uh, in yeah. Italy, and it had been picked up by a few others that um, Albion were going to, after the new owner was announced, they were going to move for the Torino boss to take over from Carlos Corbra. And I can I can pretty categorically say that is absolute rubbish. Well, yeah, I'm not. I don't want to say that that particular Italian publication and outlet is. Um, I don't want to do it over by saying it's not irrelevant or accurate with things, but. I'm right in seeing that it, it called Althea a wealthy, cash-rich yes, club. Yes, a wealthy, cash-rich club. Um, I saw that, yeah. Which, that was... which, you know, Albion are interested to hear that. I mean, you know. Yeah, where's all this cash coming yeah, from? There must be, a, must be a massive pot money, the the money tree behind, uh, behind the East Stand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just, uh, just general. Odd. Yeah, really? Uh, yeah, I, I can't understand. I mean, yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't give it much, if any, credence, to be honest. Obviously, that stuff about... Wealth is total nonsense, and look, I I don't think many people connected to the whole situation know who the next owner is going to be yet. As I say, there's people who want the next owner to be certain groups, but 
look, oh, yeah, load of nonsense. I understand it sparked fears of, like, look what happened at Blues and their owners and Eustace yeah. and all of that. But let's not, you know, let's not even... It's not, it's a nonsense. You yeah. Know, I, frankly, the bottom line is Carlos Corbin is the best thing at the Albion at the moment, in my opinion. Um, by, by, you know, by a considerable distance and contracted to the hilt, isn't he? And worked a miraculous job and I think is destined for big things in his future, where, wherever that is, mm. uh, hopefully here. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't give that too much. I wouldn't lose too much sleep no. over that particular report. No, no. no. Um, three questions here. Brick Top's got in touch. Update on Kipra and Moet contracts and how good slash vital is Moet. On that first one, you'll have probably... We don't really need to answer this because if we'll just point you in the direction of the Express and Star website because there's a story going out. Uh, well, it'll all be out by the time you're listening to this, but mm. it went out this morning um, about that, that that Albion are are, uh, are in talks basically. Or, in talks or, with yeah. a hope, you're certainly exploring the uh, potential of the extension. Basically, look, Carlos has just said said to us really on it that. There's talks between the club and not Carlos. He's the kind of the, whether that's Ian Pierce or um, other representatives at the club in that particular department with the players' reps in terms of what the players see from themselves, what the players see at the club, what the club see at the players, and most importantly the financial side of it. Like yeah. What what the players would expect versus where Albion are, and let's be honest, the landscape of when those two individuals signed then compared to now. Yeah, your takeover or not is hugely different, isn't it? And look, just weigh everything up. Do the players want to be part of it? Are they enjoying it under Corbyn? I'm sure they are. Um, mm. And if the numbers work, get it done because they've both been immense, haven't they? They've both been immense. I'm not saying for a second there won't be interest in them. I think it's fair to say mm. because like, I think from my perspective, in the side that's been fifth in the championship for most of the season, they've been two of the best players. No, of course. Um, so, I'd be surprised if rival clubs aren't aware that they're out of contract. And is that a concern? Probably. Um, are Albion planning for all eventualities? Probably. Um, but would Carlos Corran want to move forward to next season with those two at the club? I would say almost definitely. So, um, we know there are a lot of players out of contract. And I think it's very fair to say now that Tom Fellows is done that those two are. Demand priorities. Yeah, the next ones. Um, I did say we had two questions, but I'm only going to answer one because we've answered this one. Spencer George asked about Ajay being back for the Saints and 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 will he you know go in? We talked already about mm-hmm. Eric Peters and and Southampton's uh, pacey attack. So we've got a final question from Sunil Patel: Is Vyman the most natural striker we've had in recent times? Grant, Madger, DK, and BTA don't seem to have his knack of getting in the right areas at the right times. Could he be the shrewdest sign in the window so far? I think well, I think on that we've answered that he is the shrewdest sign in so far. Um, but I'd say he is. You know, you'd have to go back. I think I mentioned uh, probably after the Birmingham game when he scored that we haven't had a striker score goals like that since Gaylon Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, in terms of natural finishes, you know, Gale more than Rodriguez, but Rodriguez was still a very natural goal scorer. Um, I think he probably is. I think the, the strikers you mentioned yeah. there, you know, I don't think Grant that scores them types of goals. He scored some great goals for Albion Grant. You know, Madger, I haven't really seen a lot of Madger. It's hard to judge Madger, Madger, Madger yeah, DK, DK knows where the net DK is. DK knows where the net is, yeah, but I get in, in that bracket. And obviously BTA we've talked about, you know, and hopefully that does come. But I would say he probably is, to be honest. I haven't, I didn't see uh, nearly as much of J-Rod at the Hawthorns as yourself when you would have been going in a fan capacity, Johnny. Um, 
but I've you know I've seen seen plenty of games over Rodriguez's career and you know, match of the day and all of this where he scored goals, and yeah I think v- Vyman and I'm not comparing them I'm not saying Vyman's as good as Rodriguez and clearly when Rodriguez was at Albion he was in a bit more of his pomp and Vyman's thirty two mm. now but I do see little he's got a similar vibe similar it? traits and work, characteristics yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. not not spectacular but almost like you know what you're gonna get yeah. um. And I think he's he's two goals so far speak for themselves, and we don't have to think of or try not to think about that Suffolk handball <laughs> again because it winds me up every time I think of it. But I think it's a great point by Sunil, and um, it's a shrewd opportunist opportunist bit of business that uh, looks like a bit of a masterstroke, doesn't it? The fact he can play in positions as well, it's just a little cherry on the top, isn't it? Really, yeah. Um, yeah and I think he's a good character, and I think he's an excellent piece of business. To be honest, yeah, really good business. Bags fans, thank you very much for your questions. I'm yawning my head off here, so we're going to bring this podcast to a to a close now at uh, one thirty two a.m. Um, finally, Coxie, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna put you on the spot. Okay, I'm gonna ask you for a score prediction for Friday. Oh my word! At the Hawthorns, you know, I'm gonna go in first. I'm back in Albion to win. I reckon. I said this to a fan tonight. Albion, almost when they play against the bigger sides, who are going to dominate possession. It kind of suits them a little bit more where they can play. We've seen that Albion are really good on the break. Um, we've seen them play through teams, but you look at Ipswich, Ipswich come and add more of the ball. I thought Albion were the dominant side in terms of chances. Leicester came and Albion arguably could have won that game, you know, if it wasn't for that. You know, I'm not going to call it stupidity because I'm never going to question Carlos Corbrand's tactics, but just yeah, with with a little bit of difference and, and you know maybe not naive, it could be not say naivety, but if things had gone differently, could have won that game. I think this might be a game that suits Albion. They're very defensively good at home, you know they can frustrate, but they're also going to have pace. You know on the break, fellows Wallace Southampton's result last Thomas night, Santé, you know, yeah, and that result as as well, yeah, and obviously Johnston throwing that mix. I'm going to go two one, two one Albion. I love it, love the optimism. Um. Yeah, I think one all's jumping out at me. I've got yeah. to say, yeah, I'm getting. And you'd probably take that at the start of the night, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we said if like you know the Cardiff one was a big one for banking those points to maybe put a less you know a bit less on Friday night, and uh, yeah, draw at Ipswich. So if you're looking at the three and saying five from a possible nine, I think that's the bare minimum expectation, isn't it? And look, I think Albion can beat Southampton on Friday. Southampton, what a bad result at Bristol City, wasn't it? They squeaked past. Huddersfield? Yeah, yeah. At St Mary's. Yeah, that was yeah. absolutely crazy. I, don't, I can't even remember what score that finished. 4-2, I think it was. Yeah. They're shipping goals at the minute, aren't they? So I think... Oh, I think Albion can score there. And can I say a 1-0 Albion? Absolutely. But I, I just... Yeah, I'm going to go 1-1 just to balance your yeah. optimism out as we like to do on this podcast. Um, but yeah, big big night in it. It's going to be a big night under the night, yeah. Friday night. It's going to have the, a real big game feel about it. And uh, last home game for a little while, for two weeks exactly, isn't it? So um, Last game for you for two weeks yes, as well. You're I, uh, leaving us and going on all day. Just in time for Plymouth away. I'm yeah, probably, poor form that. We'll let the Albion fans make of that <sighs> what, they, uh, what they will. But, Paul's uh, a big game. What a, uh, that's a bad one to miss, isn't uh, it? Bad uh, one to miss. Mad Blank. one that's a long way away from home. And I'm not going to accuse you for one minute, Cox, you're booking this holiday to avoid two long away trips, but... As yeah. you well know, Plymouth was well, rescheduled, said, Johnny, I'll as you the, know. I'll let the Albion fans make the mind But Coxie, thank you very much. Thank you very much for your hospitality. We'll, we'll have to come back here and do the podcast Well, you're again, welcome. Yeah, yeah. I, you I, know, I'm not gonna... the, this is comfier than my little office chair at home, sitting <laughs> not, on this lovely I'm not gonna, sofa. I'm not going to end this um, Valentine's Day 
early morning special by asking if you fancy a sleepover. Don't, don't worry, you can you can go on. Um, yeah, Christ, if any fans have made it through this far and heard that, then they'll be thinking, what on earth's going on? Yeah, what on earth is going on, David Coxie? Thanks for your time as always, baggage fans. Thanks for your questions. Um, as always, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back. Well, we will still be here for the next couple of weeks. Although Co- I will say, Coxie's away. And your stand-in co-host from last week is also on holiday next week, so there's going to have to be a little bit of creativity with yeah. the Bangers broadcast. So uh, watch this space. We'll wait <laughs> Get your thinking cap Get on. Get your thinking cap on. But until next time, from me and from Coxie, boing, boing, boing. boing.